0: And thank you for joining us. And this is episode fifty-eight of the Making It in Nashville podcast with Sarah Jane Case. You might know her from Enneagrams and Coffee. Let's start with a quick soundbite.
1: Uh, there's maybe three major questions that I get on my account, and I think that's what when I think of creating an offer or creating something that, that I'm going to monetize, I think about what are people keep asking me for, and which one do I want to make. So one of those is a what book do you recommend? One of those is what test do you recommend? And one of those is what training program do you recommend? I'm not qualified to have a training program yet. Not going to do it. I have no interest in doing the data of, of figuring out how to make a test for them that's going to be accurate. And I just think there's so much more value in self-typing. And so then I've always wanted to write a book. So if I'm going to give them something, it's going to be the thing that's like my lifelong dream that fills a hole that I see in the market in terms of how we learn the Enneagram.
2: Welcome to another episode of Making It in Asheville. This is a podcast where you get to hear the stories behind some of your favorite entrepreneurs and businesses here in Asheville. Each episode, we interview a different local Ashevillean. We work to uncover what they're making, how they're making it in Asheville, and find actionable insights that you can then apply to your own work and life.
0: And we are your hosts. That was Sarah, and I am Tony. We are a husband and wife team that moved to Asheville in May of 2019. Since then, we've set out to answer a single question, and that question is, how does one make it in Asheville? This episode, we sit down with Sarah Jane Case, who has many projects, all that seem to be doing exceptionally well. We unpack some of the lessons from them, namely the Enneagram, Uh, But before we get into this episode and talking more about it, let's start with a quick little shout-out from our sponsor, Range Urgent Care.
2: Yeah, Range Urgent Care is a local walk-in clinic here in Asheville, and they are totally reimagining the way that urgent care traditionally is done. Um, The company was founded by a husband and wife team, both, again, locals that are right here in Asheville. And the things that they are doing differently are... A, you can schedule visits so you don't have to wait for your appointment time like you might in other walk-in clinics. Um, you could just walk in when you see your appointment time and they'll see you. Uh, the second thing is that they have really transparent pricing so you know exactly what you're going to pay for your visit before you go in and they'll make sure that you're okay with anything before they go ahead and do it and then you end up. With a bill, for example. They also have a subscription, so you can um, sign up for an annual membership. There are different tiers, different levels. So there's basic, there's family plans, there's business plans as well, which is great for small businesses. Um, and with that subscription, you're gonna get a certain number of visits, plus things like virtual visits and all other, you know, different healthcare perks and benefits.
0: Yeah, and to talk prices and discounts, uh, the, you know, standard range urgent care visit is $149. And if you are a subscriber on the standard, you know, individual plan, it's just $30 a month. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, because you are a listener of the making it in Asheville podcast, we have a special promotion. If you go to making it in forward slash range, uh, and, sign up for one of those annual subscriptions, your first month will be free. Thank you, Range Urgent Care. And that works on any of the subscription plans, whether it's basic, uh, single person, family, or business.
2: Yeah, and I think it's important to add just one more thing before we close is is that this is meant to help you with something like you have a sore throat or you um not you don't have an emergency necessarily but maybe you sprained your ankle and you just want to get it checked out so for those things that you don't need you don't need to go to the er for but you still want to see a doctor for um range is fantastic because a you're probably going to save a lot of money then versus going to an er and you're going to have a much much better experience
0: Perfect. And it works with insurance plans. So it, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily need to be out-of-pocket e- expenses. It works with most primary uh, or major insurance plans. All of the information that you're going to need or want to know before making this a decision like this is available on our makingitinashville.com forward slash range page, or you can go directly to range urgent care and if you do choose to subscribe to a um annual plan just use the code making it in Asheville" and you will still get that first month free so episode 58 for a smooth transition into this <laughs> this week's episode um is with Sarah Jane Case who you know it was almost I, I guess the story you tell Sarah in this episode is that right when we moved to town you you got interested in the Enneagram.
2: yeah i don't know well yeah so yeah, a weird turn of events, but I started following Sarah Jane Case because she's from Asheville and she's you know influencer her here and, and, and very c- well to, known. Yeah,
0: connected to friends that we were starting yeah. to make in town. Connected
2: to Kara and everyone that we had been talking to and interviewing. But at the same time, I also started reading a book about the Enneagram. I didn't realize that Sarah Jane was like this expert in the Enneagram. Um, And I think I stumbled across one of her posts one day and I was like, oh, wow, she knows so much about the Enneagram. And then I discovered her Enneagram and Coffee account uh, and all those little other things about her. So it was really, really exciting to interview her because she was one of the first people that, you know, kind of discovered here in town.
0: Yeah. And so to attempt to. You know define some terms before we send you in to this episode. the Enneagram in case that is a new term for you or a new word. think of it as something like a personality test you might be familiar with uh, myers Briggs or a strengths finder um, It works like it, but what we learned is that a key difference is that rather than uh trying to you know quantify or identify actions that a person takes behaviors it attempts to point out the
2: motivation for why you do certain things for
0: why people act in certain ways and so the enneagram has nine different personalities they're affected in a bunch of different ways we get into the details in this episode but just when you hear enneagram think personality test and then uh, we do our best to describe it in more detail in the conversation with sarah jane
2: Yeah, absolutely. We also talk a lot about her book launch and the process of what it was like to write a book and get a book published. She just published a book called The Honest Enneagram. Um, And so she shares with us a whole bunch of insight about that and and what's going on right now. I think the book launched a couple of months ago, so it's very exciting. And the last thing that I think was really interesting about the episode was Sarah's approach to content. So if you follow Sarah, you know that she puts out fantastic Instagram content all the time on all of her channels, Um, and she's really owned that space in a very, I would say, genuine and true way that feels like you know her
0: and and professional, right? So it's like it's one thing um, that it's authentic and honest. I, you know, you have a cousin that's authentic and honest on Instagram. It doesn't. Also translate to professional, and so we get mm-hmm. to uh, spend a little bit of time uh, understanding her specific strategies for creating content, for managing as many pages as she has. And so this episode is rich with information, with specific like concepts and tools and trainings and tactics. And we are very excited to share it with you. So without further ado, let's dive in. Here's episode fifty-eight with Sarah Jane Case of Enneagrams and Coffee enjoy. Please introduce yourself uh, to the community and tell us a little bit about what you're up to today.
1: Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Sarah Jane Case. I'm an author, writer, um, podcaster, and speaker. I mostly work with the Enneagram and use the Enneagram as a tool for self-compassion, self-advocacy, and then kind of healing your relationship to your work life. Oh. So I get to go into corporations and talk about how you can work better in a corporate environment, but I also get to talk to entrepreneurs and how can you use your understanding of yourself to have more grace with yourself in business.
2: Incredible. So Always Sarah, we're, we're so excited to have you on this podcast. Uh, I think when we moved to Asheville is when we like got connected to you via Instagram. Um, and ironically, that was also the time when I started diving into the Enneagram. Tony had this Enneagram book on our bookshelf. I was like, what is this? And picked it up and started reading. And then I started realizing that you also, you know, are an expert in the Enneagram field. Uh, and so so many questions and I'm sure we're going to get into about the Enneagram itself and your thoughts um, and the work that you've done. But I'd love to go back and just find out a little bit about how your interest in um, the Enneagram and self-care sort of all kicked off. Like, was there a defining moment in your life where you realized this is something that I need to focus on? Mm
1: -hmm. So I had been working, so I've had kind of a rich entrepreneurial history. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started as a photographer, as a wedding photographer, and transitioned into boudoir photography, and then moved that into marketing, which moved into coaching. So through this, I, I, right when I found the Enneagram, I was doing kind of burnout prevention and recovery coaching, helping people to fall in love with their business again. And I found the Enneagram around that same time. And I realized all of this work I had been doing, which was how do I get to know this person so well, then I can understand the patterns of behavior that they keep doing that keep not serving their business. The Enneagram kind of just hands that to us. Yeah. And, most of us spend most of our lives just trying to figure that stuff out. So once the Enneagram comes in, it really just hands it over to you and says, hey, here's some things that maybe you keep doing
0: and you can look at. So um, we there's a chance that in the future we'll have done an intro that has a, like, let's define some terms, but mm-hmm. we also might not. And so this would be probably a good time to perhaps yeah. attempt to define the Enneagram as a concept Um, I'll throw out a couple words, and then you can tell me if this is right, wrong, or otherwise. But like, it wouldn't be, so we were talking in the pre-conversation, Sarah is introverted, I'm extroverted. That's like a binary Mm -hmm. scale. Then you have something like a strengths finder, which is a pretty corporate understanding of personality types. And then Mm -hmm. there's the whatever it is, Myers-Briggs, ENFJ, INFE, whatever. I don't Mm -hmm. know, but those are maybe friends, they're all cousins in attempting to understand personalities and the way people think or operate. Am I moving in the right direction? Getting warmer?
1: Yeah, I would say all of those really define and tell you what you do, right? They kind of point at this is what you keep, this is what you do, this is how you show up. The Enneagram goes into like a next level deeper into why you're doing it. What's your worldview? And what is it that, key, that is driving this behavior um, so that you can actually start to separate yourself from what you think you have to be? So I like to think of it as the Enneagram is basically showing you what you think you have to be in order to be loved, safe, okay, and you actually don't have to be those things. And so it, a lot of the Enneagram is the unlearning of the behavior and the, and the stepping out of what you think you're supposed to be to earn love.
0: Whoa. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's, uh, I, I, that is very different than, um, mm-hmm. so, so it's not so much like preference based. It's not like I'd rather read something than mm-hmm. hear someone talk to me about it. It's, it's, is it, would ego be a good word to describe? Like it's my ego is feel safe in these type of feelings and feels mm-hmm. scared in these other types of feelings.
1: Yeah. It, a lot of people call it ego fixation. So it's what your ego's fixated on. So for some people, their ego's fixated on earning love. For others, it's on being happy, maintaining options. For other people, it's going to be being informed, being capable. And for other people, it's going to be maintaining their own peace of mind. So yeah, our egos kind of pinpoint something at a very, very young age. And we fixate on the idea that that's what we should be in the world. And we think everyone else thinks they should be that too. And the Enneagram kind of reveals the fact that there's all of these different ways in which we all think we have to be.
0: Wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
2: And so I guess one of the questions I always have with the Enneagram is, uh, well, with really with any personality test, is that you do this test and then you identify yourself as this one type and thing. And I think sometimes that can feel really limiting. You're like, oh, well, this is just the way that I am because you know, this is what the book said that I am, so deal with it. What would you say to that and how would you advise people to approach um that sort of thinking?
1: Yeah, I actually think the Enneagram showing us what you don't have to be anymore. Mm-hmm. So we've we are already in that box, right? We're already putting ourselves in that box. So I'll use myself as an example. I'm a type seven. I like options, I like variety, I like happiness, I like good feelings. Um I like to be satisfied. <laughs> and so I think I have fixated on the idea that that's what I have to be. I have to maintain these good feelings, these good moments. I have to live in the highs and I have to plan for the future. I have to constantly be preparing and planning. And the Enneagram is kind of this opportunity to recognize what I've already told, limited myself into and has shown me opportunity that I don't have to live in this like very narrow version of life.
0: Whoa! So that's funny. I I know very little about enneagram, but I was the when I was introduced to it for the first time. That's how that book showed up. Someone's like, "You're a seven, and then <laughs> sent me this book. And I admittedly didn't do much by way of reading it, but I read a, a little bit, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, that sounds like I am that." Um, mm-hmm. And but the one difference that I I would self-identify from how you described your seven is that I mm-hmm. historically haven't planned. So part of my freedom or feelings of freedom and optionality was by like not locking into any future. Um, And so, and so if I'm letting go and I don't think we've done probably enough discovery of the concepts here, but if I'm letting go of this uh, thing or identity, uh, what does it look like? So in, in the Myers Briggs, there are four letter options by four letters. And so that's sixteen total personality types in Enneagram I believe there's nine but then there's but then there's like some sort of Mm -hmm. you can also be other things and so the options become probably multiplied or exponential um but like we're sevens but have different feelings about something so there must be more than nine is that
1: yeah I also think it's helpful to clarify the plan because mm. there are types who plan in order in, in, terms of, I want to be prepared for worst case scenarios or I want to make a commitment. Sevens, the plan isn't necessarily like, I'm going to commit to something. It's like I'm going to think of the future and all its many options. So it is planning. It's just planning for an idea of something. Um, so an example for me, and I don't know if you relate to this, but, if I'm having a bad day, what I'm going to do is I'm going to think about the future good feelings I could have. So I'm going to think about, oh, I could go on a trip to this place and I'll research plane tickets or I'll um, plan out an idea of a thing. But the committing piece, that's limiting our options, right? So we're not going to necessarily put a stake in the ground that comes with some work and some practice.
0: Wow. So so if we're in the process with, by, by leveraging the understanding of the Enneagram, if we're in the process of uh, letting go of whatever predisposed or trained feelings that we're having, mm-hmm. does it end up being like floating towards the middle of all of these personality types? What is the end state if we're letting go of beliefs or these ego um, driven attempts at perfection or whatever you're identifying as the goal?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think everybody would describe this differently. I, I think there's an element of yes, integrating into all nine types. I also think the way that I teach the Enneagram, there's an inherent shame in that, like this idea that I'm supposed to overcome my number, because I really want people to be in it for the long haul, right? I want you to feel like you're in relationship to this work. And so the idea that I can out, step outside of my seven completely, I think is unrealistic. And so more accurately, I think that we're in consistent relationship to choosing behavior patterns that serve ourselves and others better. And that the Enneagram is showing us where we're not serving ourselves and where we're not serving the people in our lives. And so while, yes, the goal would be integration, that that's a day-to-day process and a day-to-day commitment. And so every day I can show up as a low-level 7 or a high-level 7, um, and I get to choose how I ch- interact with this thing I think I have to be.
2: Yeah. And that's something I read to you about. It's like you have healthy versions of your Enneagram type and then unhealthy versions of your Enneagram type. So it really is, it seems like kind of being your best self, which sounds super cliche, but that's kind of how I have interpreted a lot of that. Um, I'd love to know too, like, so you you just came out with a new book, The Honest (laughs) Enneagram, which is so exciting. And there are already quite a few books out there about Enneagram Um, And I'm wondering what what your specific take on it is and why you felt the need to fill a space uh, in this particular space. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, So most Enneagram books that I read when I was starting out had two things in common. One is that they were very clinical, um, very textbook-esque. And the second being that they were a little bit harsh. <laughs> so when you're receiving the information, it's in language that I would never use with a client, right? Like lazy, gluttonous, um,
2: like slothful. Vices, or, like or the seven yeah, deadly sins. And you're like, yeah, your
1: what? <laughs> yeah. And I wish I would never label a human with those words. Yeah because my true belief, and let's say nine's the one that gets lazy all the time, but nines are also the ones who are constantly scanning and aware of making themselves small so that other people can thrive or other people Mm -hmm. can feel safe to have their opinions. So they're constantly kind of constricting themselves throughout the day. And I, that's exhausting. And so the idea that you're spending more energy, just living as a normal person than I am as a seven, who's just kind of like Here I am, take me or leave me, whatever. Um, There's so much less energy expended in that that space versus a nine who's kind of taking everybody else's energy on and responding to it. So, of course, they're going to want a little bit of a break from that. And they're going to want to rest a little bit more than I'm going to need to rest. So. I say that to say I wanted my book to be written from a place of compassionate understanding and curiosity over labeling people. So I wrote it in such a way that I hope that your inner dialogue when you read it shifts to be a little bit more kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that when we approach growth through, through compassion and through curiosity, it's much more sustainable and actually happens. Whereas if we try to shame ourselves into, into change or we shame ourselves into discipline, we demotivate ourselves. Like if you're talking to a child, you find, you know, I'm not going to look at my kid who's learning to tie a shoe and be like, you're messing it up. You're doing it wrong. But that's how we talk to ourselves, oh you gosh. know, yeah. yeah. but I know I'm going to shut him down.
2: Yeah. Well, I really like that approach a lot. Um, And I know know we're going super deep into the Enneagram and I want to get back to your story at some point too. But another question that also comes up a lot for me and I've seen it also out there is what if I can't type myself? And I personally struggle with this. I've read like, again, five books on the Enneagram and every time I read it, I have like a different perspective. I'm like, well, maybe I'm this or maybe I'm that. And I I don't know if it just feels like...
0: What do, you, what do
2: you think that you are? Uh, well, the first time I read it, I thought I was a five. And then I went to, no, maybe I'm a one. And then, like, maybe I was like, no, maybe I'm am I'm a four with a five wing. And I just keep going back and forth. So how, what would you say to someone that is just doesn't know, can't type themselves? Um, mm-hmm. How do you figure what out what you are?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I... You know, I think a lot of times when we have a hard time typing ourselves, there's a couple of things that are happening. The first one is that we are not trusting our instincts. So maybe we have like an initial impression of what we think our type is. Excuse me. So we have an initial impression of what we think our type is, and we either let other voices kind of speaking over us impact the way we're starting to view ourselves, or we are kind of taking in the information and second guessing based on behavior. So sometimes it's really motivation based. It's your worldview. And sometimes we get content and I've produced content like this at times that's behavior based. And that's Mm -hmm. really not helpful in terms of typing yourself because any type can exhibit any behavior, but it's why we're exhibiting the behavior that matters. The second thing um, that can happen is that we can, um, we might be a, a counter type. So specifically, so I took me two years to type, and it's because I'm a counter type. So my behavior to almost everybody looks like a two or a one, but my motivations are seven motivations, and I have conflict there.
2: Interesting. Very. Do you know a lot of you? Yeah. No, that's super interesting. And and I've also read uh, things where people say sometimes it's helpful to get an outside opinion and have someone else kind of not like a friend, but someone who really knows the Enneagram and can question and and ask the right questions. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you notice that there is this problem with any particular type of person? Like Mm -hmm. one type is constantly doubting whether or not they are that type.
1: Yeah, I would say nines and sixes both struggle with that the most. Nines from a place of they can see themselves in every number, because they are so used to blending into who they're surrounded by. And six is because they're second-guessing themselves all the time. So sixes can kind of have a a whole conversation with themselves back and forth, second-guess and switch back and forth. So when it comes to the Enneagram, you can see, like, I can see that in me, but I could also see this and
2: mm-hmm. a lot
1: of kind of back-and-forth energy.
2: Interesting.
0: That is. Wow. So to, to attempt to put some uh, narrative flow into this experience, you mm-hmm. have entrepreneurial Uh, I guess history, your, your photographer into coach into exposure to the Enneagram. Can you remember the first time someone either handed you a book or said, you seem like, have you heard of this? Like, what was that like? And then, what happened as it seemed, my guess is that you mm-hmm. went deep down some sort of rabbit hole and, mm-hmm. and saw a wide open like opportunity to create a like a media empire but like how did what was the first <laughs> couple steps
1: so uh my husband, who was my my partner, my boyfriend at the time, were at a like a picnic party situation at a barn, and we were talking about our relationship, just kind of talking about what we were learning about our similarities, our differences, and we had two friends, um, they're Culberson, Sadie and Nathan Culberson, and they dove really deep into the Enneagram before, and they were like, have you heard of the Enneagram? They didn't put a type on us at all, but they just kind of gently directed us in the direction of doing our own research, And the day or two later, we took the test, and we both mistyped. I typed as a 2 on the test. He typed as a 7. And he, Nathan had said, like, I think you might be a 4. And Obi read his type and was like, that's me. I've never – nothing's ever been more me than this. I read his type results. So he got 7. I read 7, and I was like, this feels way too intimate. I feel really – scene. Like someone's watching me. This feels more like me than anything. But I typed as a two and I could see some two in me as well. This all makes sense later. I'm (laughs) I'm telling you a lot more than you need. But um, so anyway, so I saw myself in the seven, but I also saw myself in the two a little bit. And through the journey, it took me about two years to commit to actually being a seven because I, everybody in my life was like, I'm pretty sure you're a two. My husband was like, I think you're a one." And it just took me forever to really come back to seven. And I explored everything, nothing quite settled. And through that deep, insane research, trying to find myself in the system, I became obsessed. I just became obsessed with learning every number because as I read the, the type descriptions and I was learning more and more about it, I started to see my clients in it. I started to see my friends in it. I started to see my husband better. And I just found it endlessly fascinating. And eventually I was annoying everyone in my life with it. And a friend was like, can you just find an outlet? <laughs> like, somewhere?" And so that's how I ended up creating anagram Enneagram of Coffee.
0: Wow. Okay. So I know that we could, you know, pull up Enneagram of Coffee and get a lot of like really a funny, but cool and great and meaningful, uh, mm-hmm. sound bites or snippets for context. But maybe mm-hmm. if, if you could, I imagine that you can, uh, give us like a tweetable about the nine so that if we do use the numbers moving forward and someone has incredible memory, they might, oh, two is the th- that versus mm-hmm. seven is, uh, I don't you know. You mean the tweetable
2: freedom. for each type? Yeah, eh?
0: tweetable for each of the nine types. Oh, okay. Got it. Or sure. like the headline, whatever. This is
2: a quiz. <laughs> Let's see. Let's
0: see if you really know.
2: Oh, well, you know this? Um, yeah, I'll start
1: with type 1. Okay. Um the so type 1 is the perfectionist. They're focused on being good and not being corrupt or evil. So they focus their attention on essentially being a good person, but they never quite feel like they live up to that. Um and then this we is have-
0: this is motivation, right? So it's not be- yeah. you mentioned it before, not behavior motivation. So what what are your dri- your drive is to okay. be good and not corrupt. Be a
1: good person. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um type 2 is the helper. They're focused on being loved and being liked, and, and they do that through earning love. So they believe that they that love is not inherent, that it is earned. Um, and we have type three, the achiever, and they're focused on not being worthless, being worthwhile, and they're focusing their attention on achieving like the next big thing. So they're always aware of the next mountain they could climb, the next big accomplishment. And we have type four, which is the individualist or the romantic, and they're focused on Finding their identity and expressing that identity to other people. Um, fours really value being fully known in their intricacies. Then we have type five, which is the investigator, and they're focused on the um, being competent, being capable, and they fear being incapable. So they tend to inform, you know, be constantly informing themselves. They go really deep into usually one subject, becoming an expert at something, and that feeds their desire to be competent and capable. We have type six, which is the loyalist. They're focused on safety and security, and they fear being without support. So they tend to create kind of stable social networks, they they have a complicated relationship to authority where they want to belong, they want to please authority, but they also are very skeptical of authority. So there's kind of a push-pull there of new authority specifically. Then we have type seven, which is the enthusiast. We're focused on not being limited on holy planning. We focus on our attention on feeling the good feelings, resisting the negative feelings. We fear being trapped in emotional pain. Hmm. We have type eight, the challenger, who is focused on not being controlled. Um, They want to be strong. They want to persevere. They want to be self-reliant. They don't want to be controlled by other people or be physically harmed. They fear physical harm. We have type nine, the peacemaker. They're focused on their own peace of mind, maintaining kind of a, a peaceful existence. They also fear loss of connection. So what this can often look like is a... not a closing down of their preferences in favor of someone else feeling safe to express their preferences.
0: I couldn't, I could have done it <laughs> you better passed myself. The that was, you got nine <laughs> out of nine. Check this. Um, wow. Okay. That is very helpful. Maybe we should have led with that. Um, but that also all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I see now how when, you start in a two, there's a world where that's not maybe so different than what we're feeling in our sevens. Um, but now what is a, you know, as you're going through this exploration, it's two years of shifting from a two to a seven. Mm -hmm. Is is there, is there a downside to I misidentifying or like, is that a, is that problematic? Is it just that you're not doing the things that you could be doing to free yourself up and be even more powerful Mm -hmm.
1: i honestly don't rush people through the typing process i believe that that in itself is a worthwhile journey because you again i at one point explored being a two being a one being a nine and being a seven and in all of those journeys i learned something about myself you know everything was worthwhile it helped me to see the part of me that jumped in to help And then as I started to learn about seven, I learned why I was doing that, especially being a counter type of seven. Um, In the same way, what part of me shows up kind of rigid and perfectionistic and um, sometimes judgmental or black and white thinking, there's a very real part of me that does that. And there's a very real part of me that just wants everyone to get along. Mm -hmm. And all of that is in us and we all have the access to all of the numbers. But when I found seven, the true work got to come in the true growth process because I was able to be honest with myself about the repeated patterns of my life. And I think if we stay mistyped, then we, we miss out on that opportunity for depth and that opportunity Mm -hmm. to actually dramatically shift the way that we show up.
2: And so in, in practice, how does, you know, improving yourself using Mm -hmm. the Enneagram actually come into play, right? Like Let's say I, I'm I don't know, I'm feeling really stressed out one day and anxious. What kind of exercises can someone do to maybe improve themselves using the Enneagram?
1: So I think of the Enneagram as a map. So it's kind of this it's a a guiding post to what kind mm-hmm. of tools we do need. So it's not a tool within and of itself. Uh, we need tools to complement the map. And so The Enneagram gives you information into what tools are necessary. Uh, So for me as a type seven, I have to learn to sit with pain. The more I can learn to sit with my own pain, the more I'm able to be present in this moment, the more I'm able to let other people experience pain. Sevens were really bad about toxic positivity. Like, we will, we want you to feel good and we will manipulate your language to get you to feel good because we can't handle your pain. And so, my work in relationship is to allow for my pain so that I can allow for your pain. And in the same way, I will. <laughs> this is
0: getting real over here. I have, like, it's one of my biggest things. It's like, I'm always or at least in in the newer versions of me, I'm constantly like, don't say anything. Like, let them <laughs> feel that, like you don't need to fix it. You mm-hmm. don't need to convince them that it's okay. Like just okay. shut up. And I don't, <laughs> like it's so, it's, it's a new thing. It's take mm-hmm. It takes a lot of concerted like uh, bandwidth of mine to not jump into mm-hmm. what comes more naturally, which is like, you know, rubbing the dirt off the wound, kissing it. It's all good. Like, doesn't it feel good? It actually, come on, it should, you're good. Like, come on, let me prove Mm -hmm. to you how good you are right now. Mm -hmm. Holy smokes. I'm sweating. Continue.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So every, I think the other, the other piece of that, um, for sevens is, is when my younger years, Right? where you and I are both in committed marriages and that for me has forced me to learn to sit with the pain. But before that I was just out, like I was out the door. If you couldn't handle, it's like you weren't positive enough for me, then like, you know, I don't need that in my life with more of the energies. Like I just want positive people around okay. and because, and I think that's how all of our numbers are is we think it's the good way to be right. And I think that we can trick ourselves into thinking, Oh, this is what's good. And and so we operate from that place and we don't realize the harm it does to ourselves and the limit the way it limits us. So I say that to say every number needs different tools. And the Enneagram just kind of points you in the direction of what tools you might need.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah, I really like that. And I also like the idea of and I know, I know you're not supposed to like type other people, but for example, I know my husband is a seven and so I can recognize that in him and know that we always joke about this, but that if I need his help with something, I need to try to make it fun for him. So like if we're cleaning the house, like we got to put on music or something because otherwise it's not fun and he's not going to want to do it. Um, And so knowing how other people are, I think is extremely helpful mm -hmm. in work, life, family.
0: She gives me like the good boy sometimes where it's like, you did like, I just want to tell you, you did a good job. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like,
1: I beg for the good boy all the time for my husband. I'll be like, look
0: at this thing I wrote. <laughs> Didn't I do this <laughs> exactly? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, um, that is so interesting. And, uh, I don't know. It, it, there, one of the things that's coming up for me, and this is perhaps a hard pivot, but you alluded to it and it made me feel good because I, I wanted to go in this direction it seems like uh there might be for most people some form or another of like either childhood i don't want to say trauma but like a a the language that i've heard it used before is like there's a fishbowl breaking moment in your childhood where like you realize Mm. that the world works a way that you didn't expect it and all of a sudden uh that feeling is stuck with you forever and now all of a sudden you're working constantly to heal or fix or live into somehow improve that moment and so have you seen is it true that uh most of our enneagram numbers come from childhood attempts at perfection or fixing or helping or something like that finding love
1: yeah, so there are I would say essentially three schools of thought on this and I'll, I'll I'll gently touch on all three and then tell you the one that I really I personally believe in. Um so the first one is that there is a childhood wound, that something happened to us when we were a kid that determined how it changed us. It altered the way we showed up. Um and that that is related to our type specifically. So for type sevens, it's that we didn't have a relation, we didn't have a nurturing relationship to our mothers or the nurturing figure in our life, and we learned that we had to take care of ourselves, mm. um, or we had to meet our own needs. Then the, but then there's also the idea that whatever it is that we are sensitive to as our type is what we were naturally born sensitive to, and our parents didn't actually create it in us; they just were a symbol of of it for the earliest symbol of it for us. So if I am sensitive to the fact that I have to meet my own needs, then I looked for evidence of that my whole life. And my parents were the first piece of evidence
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we could experience what all the wounds from any parent that we were in relationship to. And then the third one is the soul child. This is the one that I feel most connected to. This is from the work of Sandra Matry. And she talks about how the there's lines on the Enneagram. So there's a line going to your number and a line going from your number, the line going from, um, from your number is the line that you go to in stress, and then there's one that you go to in rest. Hmm. The work of the soul child is the idea that you were the number that you go to in rest as a little kid, and that somewhere along the way you received the message that it wasn't okay to be that. And so you started, you put on the personality of your dominant type. So if you're comfortable, I'll use us as an example again. Are you cool yeah. with that?
0: So when you say us, you mean sevens? Yeah. Seven. Okay. So here's the thing: when you talked about uh, what is commonly felt as a, like the cause for a seven in childhood, I that didn't necessarily speak to me, yeah. which is interesting.
2: I don't see that. Like my parents are <laughs>
0: wildly overcaring and love, like are we like love 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 love. love. And I was wild, like I was pr- provided for more, like, it's almost, I wish I was provided for less, like what might've helped. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I, I'm I'm feeling as like my, I used to call it like in my Oedipus feelings were like, I got too much and I like, I'm raging against that. I wish that I had more hardship. Like that's like, is that, I feel nuts, but like, that's something that I've worked through or attempt to. Yeah. Um. So I, that didn't necessarily speak to me that I had to provide for myself. Because mm-hmm. I was very coddled and taken care of and, and shown love and communicated love in multiple ways. There
1: are, you know, just so many different ways that people describe that wound that mm-hmm. I don't want to limit us into that yeah. so, because it isn't my area of expertise. But the one that I do, I personally do resonate with them. I do resonate with the need getting mm-hmm. met. I think that's probably why that's the first example on my mind. Yeah. Um, but with a soul child, the idea is that as little kids, we were the, we were type five, type type five is kind of more withdrawn, introspective. They kind of live in their heads. They live in their own world. They're, they, so the idea that we were like these little kids who just wanted to be alone and read and like live in our own little world and that somewhere along the way we learned that we needed to be the happiness for the people in our life. Like we were the sunshine. And so we needed to bring the energy, bring the happiness. And if we didn't do that, there would be a void or we weren't playing our role. Um, so that would be kind of the soul child theory of it so that we learned, okay, I have to keep my energy up. And if I keep my energy up, then everyone
2: else is going to sur- is going to be happy. I'm going to meet the need of the family.
0: Okay.
2: And so then would it be the opposite if you are a, consider yourself a type five you were a type seven or yeah
1: little type fives were um eights as little kids okay the idea there is that they were um eights are the most blunt upfront assertive um they don't really shy away from saying the the hard truth so the idea being that they were like strong, aggressive, assertive children who were taught that they shouldn't be that strong and aggressive and assertive and that actually they should be quiet and they, mm-hmm. it's like kids are better seen, not heard. Um, and so they learned to go inward and to kind of hide their preferences.
0: Holy smokes. I can, I, all of a sudden I'm feeling, and I don't, it wasn't like I was needed to be high energy. Like my family is like very loud and boisterous but i i do feel like uh, i remember feelings of as a kid of like always trying to do jim carrey things or comedian yeah. things to be funny and lively and entertaining oh. and make everyone I mean, laugh. as so a kid
2: was... you still do that now
0: <laughs> 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 but yeah so like i i may, maybe there's something there i don't identify with being very like in my own head but maybe i was I, I, I don't know. TV, hey, there's so much yeah. work to be done, people. This is just <laughs> the tip of the iceberg here. Oh my gosh,
2: I know. We could, we could keep, we could probably uh, talk the whole time about the enneagram, but I do want to go back to yeah, your but, story because this is the making it in Asheville podcast, and we want to know um, a little bit more about how you are making it uh, here in Asheville. And so I guess we could go back to like, give us a timeline, like. Yeah. Your like, I don't know, resume. I know that sounds kind of boring, but like you've done a lot of different things, but kind of mm-hmm. give us an overview of how you got to where you are now.
0: Yeah. Like when did this two year exploration of self happen? Because you were coaching at the time and then mm-hmm. as an outlet, Enneagram and Coffee started. So like mm-hmm. about when was this?
1: Yeah. When did I start Enneagram work?
0: Sure. Like, Or when yes. did I
1: start researching the Enneagram specifically?
0: Yeah. Let's start there.
1: Yeah, so I would say um, that was, I want to say 2014, 2015, um, I found the Enneagram, and I was coaching at the time, one-on-one coaching, and doing that with business owners. I was also at the time doing a lot of marketing work, so I was doing a lot of photography, like um, food photography, and I was a marketing director, and I was doing a lot of things, very (laughs) 7 Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I was doing all of those things, learning about the Enneagram. I started a business with a dear friend of mine and we were doing marketing, running accounts for other people, social media accounts. And I was coaching on the side and we would do coaching together as well. And around the end of that, we, I started coaching one-on-one directly. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I could say what year. Okay. It's okay. um, I'm like, I don't want to lie to you, but I don't, so I'm not going to fact check that. A couple
0: <laughs> years ago, <It> was a <laughs> several yeah. years ago. Yeah. Cool.
1: And, um, so in that work, I really started using the Enneagram professionally, like in, in my coaching work. And then from there, I decided to just go ahead and get certified in the Enneagram and was using that. I was at a retreat with a that I was hosting with my business partner at the time, which I think you guys know Tyler. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah. He's my like, of friend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we, I uh... thought that's
0: who you meant by the way. I just, I didn't want to say it and be wrong, but that's who I thought you were talking about. Cool. Tyler's the
1: best. Yeah. He's the best. Um, So we were hosted a retreat together. And in that retreat, all I was talking about was the Enneagram. And he was like, can you just do something with this? <laughs> and so a little, you know, it was a few months later and I created an Instagram account called anygram and Coffee and it grew from zero to a hundred thousand in about three days. And stop it just it.
0: went crazy. You, you, wait, stop it. You said three <laughs> days.
2: Yeah, how? I have no idea. Like it was and like,
0: I what wish, was the like, first? Like, did you drop ten posts? Did you drop a post? Did you go hundred all at once? Like, how do you oh go no. from? Because I'm like, I'm imagining celebrities would have a hard time going from zero to a hundred. Like, beat list, you know, like celebrities from when we were kids. Zach Morris, <laughs> he's clearly got more than that. But like, you know, if someone just rolls into Instagram a hundred thousand in three days is nonsensical, and so. uh it was just people needed it is that what it was was it the I first couple posts funny I, yeah
1: because when I when part of the reason I created it was because I wanted it to exist
0: yeah.
1: and so I think there's an element of timing and an element of like the Enneagram was just getting really popular I dropped it and then I created really shareable content so the, those things combined I I dropped um Nine posts. Yeah, so there were bingo first... cards, yeah. and yeah. they were just really shareable, and people, yeah, went crazy with it.
0: Amazing, and wow. so I guess that that is helpful for context, right? So, um, there, uh, my, uh, my language, and then I ask for yours, but my language about mm-hmm. what Enneagram and coffee feels like to me is is like a hybrid meme account plus mm-hmm. like truth bomb stuff. <laughs> That when people read they're like yes and then send it to all their friends um and so it like it plays some sort of like shock plus shareability card is is that was that the intention always or is that just what it became
1: the intention was more just for me to pour out of my overflow so i was just kind of like i have this thing i want to talk about mm-hmm. i didn't expect anyone to follow it i had like maybe 10,000 followers on my personal account. And I thought maybe some of them would come over. Maybe my mom would follow it. It was going to be like yeah. a hobby account where I just got to put this stuff
0: yeah.
1: in there. Uh, and so I just, I honestly never, ever thought this many eyes would be on it ever. Huh.
0: And then wow. three days later, you're like, shit, I need to get real serious about this. So here's the yeah. here's the elephant in the room, Sarah Jane, okay? Okay why haven't we talked about coffee yet? What does coffee play a role in all of this? Are you actually a coffee like nerd? Do you love coffee? Is this a thing? Or is it just because yeah. it's and coffee is a funny way to end an account?
1: Yeah, coffee is like my first love. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, I, I have like a binder. I started when I was in middle school of the future coffee shop, I would own one day and I like backpacked Europe and went out to all these on like a coffee tour. And I lived in my car for six months and traveled the country and visited all the coffee shops I could find. And, um, it's just like one of my first passions. And, and so that kind of just came into the name. And then now we actually have a coffee account too called your coffee at home where we just post how to have really good coffee at your house.
2: Whoa. Okay. Did not know that. And well, (laughs) so I guess that, that begs the question of like, how do you drink your coffee and what do you think is the best way to have coffee at your house Mm,
1: my favorite coffee is is cappuccino it's like Mm -hmm. i think the perfect drink because it's like the perfect ratio of milk to espresso um and now that is mostly what i drink at home and or a pour over of some kind Mm. nice do you have a milk frother we do yeah we just bought one at christmas time and it was like the best present i ever gave myself
2: yeah i so i'm i love cappuccinos as well i lived in Mm -hmm. italy for a long time and so like the cappuccinos there are just plentiful and cheap and amazing Mm -hmm. um but we do not have a milk frother at home and i've been contemplating getting one because of being at home so much more during Mm -hmm. quarantine and everything and not being able to go out to coffee shops what do you recommend
1: well, okay. It depends on how nerdy you want to be. Um, so I'm going to go three. I'm going to give you three layers. Um, there's like the $15 hand frothers that work beautifully. Mm-hmm. You can also use your French press as a milk frother beautifully. Um, then mm-hmm. we have an Aeroccino from Nespresso that mm-hmm. does the job and I love it. And then there's this one that I'm like really drooling over right now, which I can't remember the exact name of, but you put it on your stovetop and it's mm-hmm. a steam wand that like heats up on your stove mm. and that's the one that like my my nerd self wants mm-hmm. very badly yeah so Interesting. i think
0: we're we're probably steps one or two not quite nerd yet like we're not we don't weigh our beans but we did get a burr grinder which is cool uh-huh. so we're fresh grinds right before mm-hmm. we have the coffee our brew method right now at least is aeropress almost exclusively okay we yeah. uh it fits
2: yeah, Tony Tony converted me. I used to use a mocha pot, which is the standard Italian, like, everyone has that in their home, and they're just so cute, and I love them. Um, but, yeah, you converted me to the AeroPress. definitely makes better coffee. I
0: just, I mean, better coffee or what sold me early days on AeroPress was, like, oh, and then you just, like, and it's and you're clean. Like, it's done. Yeah. They clean up. Mm-hmm. Aero- you can travel with you it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, or, and no. now they have a travel version of the AeroPress, which is, like, the cup. It's the storage container. Whole thing. But, um. Aeropress got me on like you clean it four seconds as opposed to the cleaning yeah. process of an Aeropress I'm sorry of a, a French press or a mocha. Get out of here with that. That's way too like that's not fun. I'm a seven. I need fun. I need to like shoot it out and wipe it and then it's gone. Um, but yeah. yeah that's that's really interesting yeah we oh, got man. A goose. Okay. we got a gooseneck uh water boiler <laughs> kettle is the word no. I mean. so you know i mean slowly slowly we don't i think i think sarah you would like pour overs if we um like if that was like a saturday morning let's just yeah like just wanted to have like a lot of do cups a little yeah you know what i mean
2: Yeah, that could work. Anyways, I can't wait until we can all like get together again and make coffee and like share coffee things. But um, back to your story. So you started Enneagram and Coffee and I have to ask at that time, because you also have like a quite a good following on your own personal account as well did you have a big following at that time on your own account that that I helped about, drive about
0: ten thousand. i mean that's not insignificant yeah. to anyone listening and mm-hmm. it my my guess is that in some of the coaching and i don't know we didn't do much of a deep dive we've had tyler on um the podcast for primarily like covid and and like how to transition to a, mm-hmm. a web business in, in an uncertain time um but i'm guessing that part of your marketing and coaching was about online business and and maybe social media. So it's not like, you know, my mom starting an Instagram and any Enneagram and coffee account. And then like it somehow also gets a hundred thousand. Like you were, Mm -hmm. you, you were a marketing pro who also had a serendipitous, maybe first nine (laughs) posts. But like, I guess once that happens, are you like, Oh my goodness, I need to, monetize or like coffee brands pay me or you know, like what happens next, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I honestly, because I was already self-employed, I really wanted to monetize that account very quickly. Yeah. Not because I was just like money hungry, but I knew like, okay, I'm going to be consistent with this. Yeah. And yeah. I, that's who, like, I think that's the big thing that we miss out on. And when we, like when people are like creating accounts and they're like, why isn't it growing? It, there's, I think generally a lack of consistency and, and, So for me, I started posting and then I started posting every day and I I just showed up. And so I knew, okay, if people are watching this, I'm going to keep showing up and I I have to get paid for my work. And so I monetized very fast. I started a merch line and uh, I started an online community talking about the Enneagram called Club Enneagram that still exists. Um, And... And now I do sponsored posts very infrequently, but occasionally, um, I'll do a lot of guest writing for other people and then speaking on the Enneagram and trainings and things like that.
0: Wow. And And the podcast. And the Mm -hmm. Enneagram Coffee Podcast, link to that in the show notes. Um, and then, but, but would that initial launch, would you give some credit to your, you know, savvy as a marketer and, or just more luck? Okay.
1: It was, good. it was like, I wish I could say that I had any, I think the only thing that I did well was the content I made was good content that people wanted to share. And I honestly, like, there was no strategy like at all. And I wish that I could say that because that could, I could teach that mm-hmm. for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is that I got in early and mm-hmm. it was shareable.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's fair,
1: mm-hmm.
0: consistent, shareable Good content. Mm-hmm. That uh, that does sound like a recipe. That does sound teachable. But <laughs> it's like, but people are gonna be like, no, that sounds too simple. Like, yeah. simple is not necessarily easy. Like to keep showing up and keep creating content and keep having new ideas and ways of saying what is in effect the same thing in a new way. Not yeah. easy. That is. Yeah. I mean, that is hard.
2: Which, yeah, I mean, I would love to know, like, how do you when you plan content? How do you go about thinking about it? Mm-hmm. What is your approach and your strategy to oh you know, do you plan out a whole month? Do you plan out a week? Like, how, how do you think about these things?
1: Every season's a little bit different, but I, in every, so I run three Instagram accounts and in all three of those accounts, I do the same thing, which is I have a rhythm. So I don't necessarily plot my content because I know I thrive best when I listen to my intuition, when I kind of fly off the seat of my pants, that is where I create good content. If I try to write something for a month in advance, it just, it falls flat for me. Some people do that.
0: And there's also something special about like timely posts that, you know, speak to something that just happened. And then you pull that in and you couldn't have planned for that a month ago.
1: Right. Right. Um, but I do have a rhythm. So I know for my Sarah Jane case account, I do the same thing every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on stories. I've, there's like a theme for every day. And then for your coffee at home, I know we post Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we have kind of a theme for that as well. Like we do a classic drink. We do a drink that Obi makes that I he gets to do whatever he wants. And then I do another third drink that is creative or innovative. And I know one of those every month is going to be a cocktail of some kind. Mm. So there's like a, a pattern to fall into. And the same thing with Enneagram and coffee. I know I'm going to do a list. I'm going to do a graphic. I'm going to do a list. And then I'm going to do a, a larger series on all nine types where they each get their own post. And I
2: flop back and forth between those. Into it. Got it. So you just sort of have like this framework and then you fill in the holes yeah. with, you know, yeah. whatever is relevant or feels right mm-hmm. at the time.
1: So it's not like I wake up every day like what am I going to post today, yeah. but more so I wake up and I say what list am I going to make
0: today? Yeah. Say no list. One of the ways yeah. we'll we'll describe that is like creativity by constraint, right? Yeah. Like it needs to be a list yeah. and I don't know, well, let's think about some lists. Uh <laughs> you know, <laughs> as opposed to it can be anything in the world. What could it be? What should it be? Um yeah. that's that sounds yeah. really smart, really helpful.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So okay, so we're here now. You have three different Instagram accounts. Mm. Uh, mm. you are widely considered an expert on the Enneagram and have just launched a book and doing public speaking and so on. Uh what else is going on in your world right now? And and like it seems like you have like twenty jobs. What yeah, like, how would you describe <laughs> how would you describe what's going on right now? Yeah. Um, so I think
1: of it as kind of three three little worlds. So in my Enneagram world, I have a Patreon account that helps support the podcast Mm -hmm. and I do podcast ads. Um, and then I have club Enneagram, which is where we go deep into personal growth in the, in the Enneagram. I do sponsored content over there as well. And that's where I do most of my speaking engagements and my book. And then I have my your coffee at home world, which we are diving more into doing sponsored content for that as well. And just creating content for there. And then I have Sarah Jane case, which I have, um, I do a little bit of sponsored content for Sarah Jane case, very little. And then I do have brave collective, which is my online community that's focused on self-advocacy, your organization, and how to just get more life out of life.
0: Wow. Yeah. Question uh, of all of that, uh, and there's so many questions, but the the one that I'll I'll lead with is when thinking about launching a book, right? So I have personal opinions on, on books, and I would love to know what yours have been or are now that you've gone through this process. But um, I, I like to think about books as, like, there are a couple reasons why it makes sense to launch a book. Mm-hmm. Rarely it's what people think. Like, a book is a is probably the world's greatest business card right like mm-hmm. a book gets you onto stages a book gets you to mm-hmm. keynote a book gets you as a consultant books sometimes are meaningful as like the vehicle for information transfer uh transference but like not um, actually as powerful as like the medium as um, blog posts could be like most books could have been a blog post like <laughs> or a blog post series right um yeah. but like there are reasons to to write a book and then mm-hmm. there's the whole process of actually getting that book from I have an idea for a book to uh, it's published. Mm-hmm. You have a large enough o- audience that my guess is publishers would have said, yes, please publish with us. Most mm-hmm. people won't show up with like, and there's a million people following me. So uh, where's the money? It's like you yeah. have to do it out of the goodness of your own heart or your own curiosity, creativity. So yeah. like how was your process and what were you thinking? We were you like, this is the way that this information needs to be packaged were there other thoughts that made you say book um i'd love to hear about the thoughts and the process that you went through to get uh a book that we can now have on our coffee coffee table nightstand
1: yeah so i think the first step to that is that the book was always the goal for me um so when i was a little like there's I have kept a journal since I was nine years old and you can like look back in my nine year old journal. I wrote like, I just want to write a book one day. I just want people to read my words. So I, that's been in my soul forever. Um, I wouldn't say that this is that book. If that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. I think I have a memoir that I want, I want out there. However, this is the book my people want right now from me. And it's also the book that I want to write right now. Um, So I say that to say, that's always been the goal. So the book is the goal for me, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I know that's not like, but I also do know the, the importance of people who write books to get on stages and, and do use that as kind of a qualifier for your expertise. Um, But for me, it was, I just want to write this book.
0: And, and and I missed that. That was the other thing. It's like, or you just want to write a book and then (laughs) you can just write a book, but you don't need to get public. Like that's, you know Uh what I mean? Like, and so if you want to write a book, but I just, I left that out because I just, I, I imagine that publishers would have been like clamoring for you to write. I don't know if that's true. That's just my guess.
1: I um, yeah, it's uncomfortable to say. It's like it makes me a little bit like, "Mm," but the truth is, I had a lot of publishers email me and ask if I would write a book. For
0: sure. I mean, like think about it. Like, if my job is to take a bet, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm putting assets. I'm betting. This is this is uh, roulette, right? And every single number has the exact same chance of hitting then it's it's, a, it's literally you're playing, uh, uh, you know, roulette. Uh-huh. Or you look at Tony. He's got uh, 1,700 followers. That's a really small number on the roulette wheel. And <laughs> you look at Sarah Jane <laughs> Case and Enneagram Coffee, and it's taken up like half the wheel. You're, it's almost a like, you know, a guaranteed hit of uh-huh. some order of magnitude. Don't know what it is going to be yet, but it's going to work. Uh-huh. That's not a risky bet from a publisher. So, like, uh-huh. having an audience is a good thing if you want to publish a book and yeah. so it makes perfect sense that people would be like please write a book and take my money and I don't know <laughs> if they did but that like it would makes I, if I were a publisher I would have been reaching out that makes sense yeah cool
1: I also think so at the time uh, there's maybe three major questions that I get on my account and I think that's what when I think of creating an offer or creating something that, that I'm going to monetize I think about what are people keep asking me for and which one do I want to make yeah. so one of those is a what book do you recommend? One of those is what test do you recommend? And one of those is what training program do you recommend? Mm. I'm not qualified to have a training program yet. Not going to do it. I have no interest in doing the data of, Mm. of figuring out how to make a test for them. That's going to be accurate. Mm. And I just think there's so much more value in self typing. And so then I've always wanted to write a book. So if I'm going to give them something, it's going to be the thing that's like my lifelong dream that fills a hole that I see in the market in terms of how we learn the Enneagram. Yeah. How long did it take you to write the book? So I started the outline and the structure about, I would say six months before I sat down to flesh it out. Mm. Uh, But then I went to Copenhagen for two weeks and just shut everything in my life out. I closed my I pre-did everything I needed to do for my businesses, and just wrote. And I wrote for two weeks straight to get my initial manuscript written, and then I
2: edited for two months after.
1: Wow! Wow! And was that was that your
2: intention? Like I'm going to go to Copenhagen and write a book? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's like that's like the artist's dream. And uh, I I don't. I'm actually wary of saying you should go do that because I don't think that that's true for everybody. Um, but like, there are a lot of yeah, writers out there that will say, Oh, I'm just going to go and lock myself in a cabin and write a book. And that's mm-hmm. cool. That's cool that it worked. Yeah. It was one of the happiest times
1: of my whole life. Just because wow. it was like, all I was, all I had to do was drink coffee and write and see new things. And I scootered around the whole city.
0: Amazing.
1: <laughs> scooters and
0: write. And Co- I mean, it. Looks like an amazing, that's fun. Yeah. So, um, but, but it wasn't, two weeks to write a book, it was two weeks after six months of outlining, planning, preparation. So like, you know, very thoughtful, calculated, like I'm going to go into beast mode. I imagine like it wasn't just, you know, caffeine and, uh, you know, (laughs) keyboards or whatever. I don't try to for an alliteration, but uh, I'd be interested to know, did you write it in Google uh, Docs? Did you use like Scrivener? Did you use like a book writing Software of some sort.
1: I downloaded Scrivener and hated it.
0: Okay.
1: Um. So I was going to write it in that, and I just my brain did not work. So mm-hmm. I wrote it in the notes on my laptop, and then I trans like before I turned it in, I edited it and refined it all in InDesign actually.
0: InDesign. Yeah. Whoa, cool. Yeah. So uh, that very I mean,
1: visual too. So I had to like yeah. put all the graphics in and all that.
0: So interesting. So with the with your that is so interesting to me I wouldn't have thought that you also turned it into what I'll call as like a book file right it's one thing to have words that are eventually the words and they go in a book it's another thing to you made you made the book
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and my husband illustrated the like I did all the graphics except for the opening page he drew he drew each of the graphics for the opening pages
2: wow and was that was that your choice or did you say I want to him to do
1: it he didn't want to do it <laughs> and i was like please and, he, and you know people get nervous and yeah. i was like just do it in everybody like this one of everybody's favorite part yeah just trying
0: w- without i mean answer to the level of your comfort what kind of variables were in play when you were um you know uh, i guess negotiating or having conversations with possible publishers mm-hmm. i i words that you hear as a lay person are you know um you know, up front, some sort of like guarantee up front, you have to earn it back with sales. Like what variables are Mm -hmm. in uh, a traditional publishing experience?
1: So we talked over percentage of sales for digital copies, audio copies and physical copies. Um, all of those were different. We talked about the advance, um, like how much you would get up front, how much you would get upon completion. And then, um, And for me, a lot of the work was like, how much say do I have as the author? And Mm -hmm. how much are you going to impact what I write? Mm -hmm. Um, And especially with something like the Enneagram, I and wanting to write a self-compassionate version of the Enneagram. I didn't, I was very, very particular about the language that got used. And so even we had a lot of negotiations back and forth between the publisher. I did choose about what words were used in certain places. Mm -hmm. And my publisher, the one I picked was very affirming of, my choice of language and really understood why i would speak the way that i spoke
0: that's great yeah. is there a? do you have the energy to do it again would oh yeah i
1: want to do it like right now i like it's the best thing it's the happiest yeah. i've ever been yeah
0: and did you i mean uh i would the with, i'm sorry i'm going nuts on these oh. questions i'm just so interested <laughs> so uh, with with a six-month plan to write two weeks of hardcore writing i imagine you might have also done something like that when it came time to publish and launch the book so did you have some sort of like crazy two weeks or month or months right when it launched where you were on every podcast that you could be on and or like what did public because it's one thing to write the book and then it's another thing to get people to show up and Mm-hmm. huge audience. So some of that's going to happen on its own, but I imagine you might've worked hard. What did working hard look like on publish and, and launch days or leading up um, to it?
1: If I'm going to be completely transparent and say that I did a street team and then we had COVID uh, when I launched that right. right COVID and I'm in full transparency. Like I'm grieving and I'm really struggling to show up. So I have friends, like one of my dear friends, Ruthie, she just published a book and she is like doing lives every day. She's like going to town. And I was like, I should do, I should be maintaining my launch plan. And the reality is that I just like, I chose not to. And so I'm launching, but I'm launching very softly.
0: My timeline had your book launch in like early like January.
1: Oh yeah. We started pre-orders. Okay. And, and I was talking about it before, um, but the launch date happened
2: like right at COVID.
0: OMG.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy.
2: Interesting. Oh, and that I would mean yeah, I have to imagine that affects any in-person things that you have planned, which is mm-hmm. like that sucks. But <laughs> bluntly. But um I mean I had to imagine that people also are have more free time now and probably want to read more. Like, have you noticed that, like, have sales been what you were maybe expecting or more? Um,
1: So we, I don't get my report for a few months. So I actually have no idea. Pre-orders went really well and we seem to be doing well. So I get, I can see the tags that I get done in. I can see the reviews kind of go up. Um, So it seems to be going really well. And we're still kind of in that, i do think we don't know yet yeah. um my current plan is to allow myself the space that i need right now to just live and breathe and yeah. be okay and be scared um and then in the fall to do a more formal launch when i feel like i can do it again yeah
0: yeah dang cool i was uh, you know
1: <laughs> that's not a very exciting answer but it's the truth no that's it's a, that's a,
0: that's a be- beautiful answer and that goes to show you how uh you know, the finest laid plans don't necessarily mm-hmm. mean much, but the act of planning, yeah. as they say, is important and helpful. So <laughs> uh, even if the plan doesn't ever come to f- fruition, I'm wondering yeah. um, more about today, right? So you have these multiple businesses. We went deep on books. Anything else that like of of the many hats that you're wearing that is, is mm-hmm. maybe recharging for you or most exciting in the back half of this year?
1: Yeah, I would say... You know, I'm, we're in the process behind the scenes of creating a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that's getting a lot of my energy right now. And a lot of my excitement is around just preparing and um, creating kind of content that's going to all go out so that I can be consistent when I start kind Mm -hmm. of pre-preparing the content. Um, Because I digest through video, like almost exclusively. I'm
0: on YouTube all the time. Sarah's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm learning. (laughs)
1: I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> the seven world is we have our hands in all these different places, right? We have lots of different interests and YouTube really allows the space for me to put everything that I think and talk about into one platform. Whereas mm. on Instagram, they're separate. I have one podcast for Enneagram. I have a book for Enneagram, but I want to be able to just talk. I want it to
2: free flow mm. in content. So YouTube's the next piece exciting so many questions
0: do you have questions about youtube
2: <laughs> no i i had a question and now i totally like blanked on what it was so you're gonna have to go next <laughs> uh, well then
0: i'll ju- this is just filler sarah okay. until you remember yeah, but sure uh, think. when thinking about launching on youtube uh mm-hmm. i'm wondering when you know we're neighbors how what is your plan are you uh like allocating a room to a studio are you like finding a film crew are you thinking vlog are you thinking like rich scripted thoughtful content that is like cut up from multiple takes free Mm flow like how are you thinking about youtube as a as a new medium for you and -hmm. like what's the initial channel gonna feel like
1: definitely more vlog like so there's gonna be a mix. there has to be a mixture honestly strategically of giving information and vlog-like content for me because mm. I want to ultimately doing more vlog like content, but currently no one on YouTube cares what I do with my life. Right. And so they need to have a reason to follow me in the first place and then get interested in what I'm going to share on the behind the scenes. So it's going to be a lot of Enneagram like information, just a different platform for that. A lot of, of the work that I do with brave collective, how do you make the most out of your life? Mm. How do you, you know, regain your motivation, your inspiration, fall back in love with existence. Um, through practical strategic tips on how to just how we tend to sabotage our motivation how we can recoup it. And so doing those informational, hopefully this just helps you live a better life Mm -hmm. and then more behind the scenes, morning routine, day in the life, that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. I think that's a really savvy mix of uh, content uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Really mm-hmm. excited to see your channel come out. We will definitely be tuning in. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and and I I agree like I agree with your assessment. I, it's like a classic chicken or the egg scenario. I think there are like a yeah. lot of teenagers who are going into vlogging and it's like no one like no one cares. But then all of a sudden, like maybe someone starts to care if you do it well enough, or like somehow it resonates. I like mm-hmm. I'm always apprehensive on like leaning into vlog, unless you're saying, hey, audience that already cares about me, here's this other side. And so I could imagine that you would start with vlogging because though no one on YouTube today Mm -hmm. cares about your behind the scenes, people on all the other platforms who also subscribe to YouTube channels, might show up on launch day or you know at the end of the first week and so i I was interested to see your plan is like so obi um who is one of two obis that we've ever met in our entire life and the other obi (laughs) we just had on the show um
2: yeah i don't know i don't know if we told you but we met him at a coffee shop once
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. well uh... he was like
2: are you making it in Asheville?" we were like (laughs) who I think it
0: was, it was, think really was like the, only the first time or second time that it ever happened. So we like started sweating. We we're like, Dep- yeah, that's, like it's gotta be us. Um, but so is Ob, like, is Obi going to be a camera person? Or are you finding some local talent that does cameras? Do you, are you like learning to, you're already a photographer. So you imagine, you know, the tech, it's just like now all of a sudden you just, it's a record button instead of a capture.
1: Yeah. It's going to be me, a ring okay. light, tripod and a camera. Cool. Yeah, um, mm. yeah, pretty simple. But my amazing assistant Jenny is mm. also a videographer, so she's gonna edit all my videos for me. Which thank God.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah. So so how uh,
2: how big that like reminds me as another question is how big is your team? Is it is it just mm. you and your assistant and your husband, or, I mean, how many other people are involved in helping you? <laughs> um,
1: so my assistant, who's kind of my second set of hands, she does mm. a lot. Um, and then my husband, who runs our merch store. And then I have a podcast manager and a CFO and yeah, that's every, I think that's everybody.
0: Okay. I mean, that's sounds sounds great. (laughs) Hi everybody. Um, Question if you're listening, hi everybody. Uh, But like question on merch store, Mm -hmm. do you, there's a, like, I I just explored the, um, you know, print on demand world in in e-commerce. There's a bunch of like interesting ways to hold no inventory. Margins Mm -hmm. are tighter when you hold no inventory cause you're letting everyone else do the like harder parts in, in real time. Do you buy and hold stuff in a closet and then ship it out? Like what is, what does merch look like in that process? Cause that, I, I like to say, if you're starting a business, you know, the easiest one to start is a service business because it doesn't cost anything to get started. But then like all of a sudden there's some like really interesting ways to go to, into product and have it be low or no risk while you mm-hmm. test appetite for you know your merch if you have an audience even better yeah. if you don't you can make one and have a limited downside so like what does merch look like in your world
1: so we do drop shipping and we we love it it the only downside that we've found is that Customer service is tricky because we're not as in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and we it takes longer for people to get their product. We don't mind the low margins just because there's so little export in terms mm-hmm. of our energy. Um, we looked into holding stock because we had those two problems where we felt like customer service and ship times weren't ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we really did the math for us in terms of ha- st- having a place to store it, having people help us to ship it because I can't—I don't have time to pack and ship it. My and husband does that. Yeah. yeah, so we were just like, by the end of that, we're actually going to have lower margins. So drop shipping worked better for us and our team. Mm-hmm. If you are primarily doing merch, if that's your main like income source, I think doing your own shipping would make more sense.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think that's a great assessment. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if if your highest and best use today is licking a envelope then i i think that your self-assessment is a little bit is a little bit off you know like uh so i i think that that makes a lot of sense and that's um that works yeah
2: yeah so another thing we haven't talked about is why Asheville. uh are are you from here and if not uh what brought you here and and why did you stay here <laughs>
1: I grew up in Asheville for the most part,
2: mm-hmm. and when I graduated high school,
1: I moved away for college, and then after college, I backpacked Europe, and then I traveled around the country, and in traveling the 48 continental states, I was looking for I was gonna live next. I was like, where am I gonna go? Where do I love? I loved California, I loved Oregon, I loved Vermont, and I loved North Carolina. Those are my four favorite states. Thematic. And
0: It feels thematic yeah, to me.
1: Yeah, there's water, there's mountains, there's greenery, and, um, so when I came down to North Carolina, I was like, well, my family's here, um, and Asheville's still magical. Like all of my favorite cities too, were those kind of small college hippie mm. cities. and that's, I had it all here. Mm. And so I, I, moved back and didn't really know if I would stay, how long I would stay. Um, but then I just haven't wanted to leave And my husband and I got married and, um, we just every day, like, honestly, we wake up every day, just grateful to be here. Like everything's beautiful. Um, there's never, there's not, there's plenty to do, but not too much to do. It's magic.
0: And, and what part of Asheville do you live in?
1: We live in North Asheville, kind of near Beaver Lake.
2: Oh. oh yeah i love beaver lake i always go run there mm-hmm. It's the best. i used to trick or treat here when i was a little kid so i
1: grew up like in trailer parks like out in leicester um and i used to trick or treat here like in Savvy. the nice neighborhood where they would yeah. give you the candy bars <laughs> and i would like say like i want to i'm gonna live there when i grow up that's where i'm gonna live um and that's where we live so yeah. it feels like a Full mo- a full circle
0: moment. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. I believe on the internet you have an office in town. We're entertaining an office idea. Uh, yeah. are you? Is it in downtown? Is it also in North Asheville? Where's the office?
1: The office is downtown. It's off of Market Street. Yeah. Cool. But with COVID, we we haven't used it in a while. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Um,
0: was that required because it was a non-essential business? Like our How does that, I guess, end up working out when it's not a storefront? It's just like a place that you go to work.
1: We could have We like legally could, um, I'm high risk. I have like some chronic lung stuff going on. And so we just didn't want to take that risk. And then Tyler and I shared the office and he has like a whole team and just kind of in favor of like all of our safety, um, my assistant and his team and um, OB and I,
2: we just all decided to work from home. Smart. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: I'm, uh, I lovingly say I am not, not a germaphobe. So like <laughs> I, I would have made the same decision uh, yeah. had we even had an office as an option.
2: Yeah. So Sarah, what's next? Like, what, what are you thinking about in the future? Um, we know you're going to keep obviously, or have a a cooler launch in the fall um but what else are you thinking about coming up
1: yeah so definitely book launch youtube and i ideally another book uh in the future fingers crossed and um just maintaining the the work that we're already doing
0: it's amazing um when thinking about then asheville right so we're Mm -hmm. in like a to timestamp this, we're in, in like a partial phase two, slowly coming out of uh, quarantine, maybe, right? Like it's Groundhog's Day, do we see our shadow <laughs> yet? Don't know. Um, what what thoughts, when you think about Asheville, are you most excited about in terms of the community or nature or whatever it is, when, when you think about re- an attempt to return to normal, though it might never be normal, normal, uh, what things are you thinking about?
1: yeah, I mean, I think we've really dramatically altered our life since quarantine in a way that actually feels really good to us yeah. um so I haven't really thought much about what we want in the future because the present is so good mm. for us um so i don't I don't know if I have a strong answer. There's nothing that I'm yearning for right now
0: so uh what what changes if you don't mind sharing like have shown up like have you? what's what's different, and that you're grateful for?
1: Yeah, so we used to work in the office every day. um we also we were twice a day coffee shop goers, um, and we we celebrated with like going out to eat all the time, and those are all things that I love and I think are important to support our community as we rebuild. Um, but I also we've spent more time at home in a way that feels really healing and um, good for our mental health and physical health and um yeah so we're really enjoying it so mm-hmm. i don't know i think probably looking we rent right now we're looking into buying and being more in our space
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah i hear that i mean we've definitely we've always kind of worked from home i mean for the past yeah. year we've worked from home so it's funny because this really hasn't changed that much for us but there is like this stronger sense of we're cooking a lot more we're like life. It seems like slightly less chaotic, like not running around mm-hmm. town, doing like having to go to meetings or, you know, feeling like, I don't know, Late. we need to go somewhere yeah, and do oh. something. So I totally get that. Like, it feels very grounding and healing. And while we miss going to the coffee shops and miss certain restaurants. There's something special that I think we'll probably carry through throughout all of this.
0: For sure. And I mean, the feeling that I feel through it is just gratitude. Because like, Mm -hmm. how crazy is it that the world is on fire and like we have been gifted the feelings of like calm and and thankfulness and like things are getting somehow better. Like it's nuts. Like
2: yeah it's not like that for everybody for no. sure i feel very privileged and lucky but yeah, yeah.
0: but we're, we're with you i think that there's a lot of um in our own world at least there's been a lot of good feelings of good things that have shown up um for us and thankful for it yeah, yeah. crazy cool
2: so sarah we're gonna move into our last little round which is what we call the speed round oh but my it's... goodness
0: it's gonna be so fast you gotta put like strap on your seatbelt
2: no it's not really fast at all it's just like sort of some random questions that we'd like to ask us Mm -hmm. to be you know something kind of fun at the end so my question for you is i know that you are a big proponent of self-care and Mm -hmm. um you advocate for that very much what is your favorite self-care thing to do routine Mm
1: -hmm. yeah journaling Mm -hmm. I, i think um morning pages just getting like all of the thoughts out of my brain first thing in the morning can really calm down what is a very fast-moving brain and <laughs> just uh, get it yeah, all out
0: yeah. in order. and yes. we'll, we'll link to the artist way uh yeah. which was how i first heard of morning pages i think that um i you've inspired me holy smokes i that was a really good moment in my in my life also my, my hamster wheel is constantly like <sighs> And so uh, the morning pages, it's it's a, I think it's a funny action because you can think at whatever words per minute you can speak almost as fast, maybe uh-huh. depending on who you are, but you can't write that fast.
2: Uh-huh. And so it,
0: it's like a forcing function to slow down. Uh-huh. Great. And then we'll speed back up. Next question: uh, <laughs> favorite place that isn't your home in Asheville? If someone was new to town, you wanted to show off.
1: I would say high five coffee just because it is especially Broadway, especially on a rainy day. I think that's really special. Cool. Nice. Yeah.
2: We go there often. Yeah. <laughs> uh speaking of coffee, favorite coffee blend or roast, I don't know what the right word is. Uh or or, or the drink. one that you're drinking right now, if you can't pick a favorite. Yeah. I think I have a I have a
1: definite favorite. It's Finca El Puente from Counterculture. It's my fave.
0: Nice. Sphinca El Ponte. That is cool. I don't going to have to Google that one because. So then the next question is: Can you remember a favorite cup of coffee? Maybe it was in Copenhagen, Copenhagen while you were writing a book. But like, was there a moment and a cup that stands out above the rest?
1: Yeah, I would say the first one that comes to mind is when I when I was. Backpacking Europe, I, I'm i going to talk about the cafe, not the coffee, Perfect. but the coffee is the the home. But I actually was backpacking with my ex-husband at the time and my his brother, and it was just not a very fun experience. We didn't travel the same. He was very controlling, and um, I'm very freedom oriented, so there's a lot of bucking heads and butting heads. And so in Paris, I found this coffee shop and I went there every single day and it was like the place I could go alone because n- neither of them drank coffee. And I would just drink coffee and I became friends with a barista and this girl who lived in the neighborhood. And we all just met there every day while I was in Paris and just talked. Mm-hmm. And they made me a list of all the coffee that I wanted to drink in London and in all the other like countries we were going to that they'd been to. And so it was just this magical
2: respite and a yeah. really, really hard time.
0: Whoa. Yeah. That's, That's cool. a perfect answer. Yeah. Thank you.
2: <laughs> um, next question is, so uh, what book are you reading right now? I'm reading Shrill. Um Ooh, never yeah, heard this. It's,
1: really um, it's by Lindy West. And she It's like all about kind of her body positivity journey. And mm-hmm. it's really blunt,
2: really awesome. It's really good. Got it. So it, it's like a, a memoir, autobiography kind of genre. Memoir. Got it. Cool.
0: Do you remember a single uh, Enneagram and Coffee post more than any of the other ones?
1: Ooh. I think I have a favorite.
0: Okay, that works.
1: Um, which is I kind of recent I did on feelings and just kind of how each type interacts with feeling and tips for how to engage with it differently.
0: Cool. We're going to uh, afterward try and find that from you and then put in the show notes.
2: Yeah, cool. I podcast episode expanding on it too, which I'm really excited about. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah, you'll have to send us the links afterwards. Um, last question is: if we had a magic wand, or somebody in our audience had a magic wand, what one thing would you ask for right now in this moment? It could be literally anything. I'm
1: gonna. I okay. I want to give you two answers. Can I give you two answers?
0: Of course. Yes. I, I mean, we've that's never the magic had two answers before. The magic wand <laughs> response is it's the ability to.
1: Give two answers. <laughs> yeah. <Sure>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have one answer that like, is my gut instinct answer, mm-hmm. but also maybe a little bit can, yeah. The first gut answer was just a complete reform of our social justice system or mm-hmm. our police system. And I feel like that's like an ally cookie answer. Like, look at me. I answer the right way. Yeah. Um, so I want to give you like a more selfish answer on the back end of that, which would be, um, like a really like to own a really like my dream house in our neighborhood and it be completely in our budget yeah. <laughs> Nice and have like all the birds that i want around so yeah
0: so the first two bits were plausible and then in your budget was like eh, well, i don't know <laughs> like uh yeah. we, we, we pay attention yeah, we, we pay attention yeah we're we're not there yet uh without doing some crazy hoop jumping to buy yeah. a home but, uh, but we
2: so we live in north asheville as well so, yeah. and so i'm always like walking around this neighborhood like down Kimberly, and like yeah. just looking at like wow. that house is for sale i wonder how much it is and then look it up and i'm like okay nope <laughs> <laughs> not gonna happen anytime soon but um yeah it's 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 a dream i hear you yeah. <laughs> that's magical
0: Dang. so the final question not speed round is if uh our listeners wanted to participate in your story, follow along, connect with you on the worldwide web or things that are digital, how might they do that?
1: Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Enneagram and coffee. That's all the Enneagram magic is there as well as a podcast Enneagram and coffee. And then if you want kind of more self-care, self-advocacy, routine structure, that kind of good stuff over at Sarah Jane Case.
2: Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was wonderful yeah. to have you on the podcast. Thank
1: you so much for having you. It was so much fun.
0: And that was episode 58 with Sarah Jane Case. You might know her again from Enneagrams and Coffee. If you don't already follow her, please uh, check it out. There are, I'd say, I don't know, probably thousands of really funny, meaningful, helpful uh, all sorts of lessons about the enneagram and personalities on her her enneagrams and coffee page. But I think that this conversation for me like opened up this whole new kind of realm of discovery that I look forward to doing personally. I imagine I hope that you listener are feeling the same way. So if you're interested in um, some of the resources, concepts, tools, tips, tactics, any of the links that we can share, they're going to be on our show notes page on making it in forward slash zero five eight. That is the episode number making in forward slash zero five eight.
2: And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, we would love it and appreciate it. If you could leave us a review on Apple podcasts, it's how other people can discover this podcast. And when you leave a review, not only do we do a little happy dance, but it lets other people know that what we're up to is pretty cool um secondly please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already you can do that on any of your favorite podcast players so you can also subscribe to our newsletter at making it dot forward slash subscribe that's a fantastic way to get notifications whenever we post new episodes as well as behind the scenes information insight that we share about each episode and be the first to hear about upcoming events launches all that fun
0: stuff yep and um Our community, which is growing uh, even through this pandemic and even through quarantine, uh, all of the events that we do and community building kind of get togethers, whether it's a Monday maker mixer um, or Anything that we are dreaming of in the future, that will be announced on the email list. So, just another reason to uh, make sure that if you aren't already, please do visit com forward slash subscribe and join that email list. Also, we want to once again just thank our sponsor, Range Urgent Care. We've had them on the podcast before. If you haven't listened to that episode, please do go back and listen to um, the founders share their story, their ideas, their like worldview is, I think, refreshing and powerful. And so they are in the business of using first principle thinking when launching this very much needed business, which is uh, an urgent care clinic. They just happen to say, uh, or I guess ask the question, why? Like, why is it being done the way it was? Why couldn't we do it this way? And what we think, Sarah and I, is that what they've gotten to is a really great model one that we are proud to represent and support and be p- like patrons of. And so I am a uh, subscriber to the uh, standard kind of plan. And if you are interested in hearing about the annual subscription, uh, what that affords you and and the special discount available because you're making it an Asheville listener, please visit com forward slash range. Range urgent care has a special first month free for any annual subscription. Um, and we have a lot of information about those policies, those plans on our website, making it forward slash range.
2: We also just want to let you know that this podcast is powered by our very own marketing agency. If we didn't have our marketing agency, um, it would be very challenging to have this podcast. Uh, it's called making it creative and we help small to medium sized businesses uh, all over the world with marketing, storytelling, and revenue strategy.
0: We like to think about our position with most businesses as something between, uh, a, I'd say, storyteller marketing focus and something that is also sales focus. And so we'll sit down with owners and really work with them to identify who their customer is, what their customer cares about, what makes their brand and story so unique and specific, and then attempt to pull on the biggest, most obvious levers to increase sales, to increase uh, the relationship that you have with customers so that your business is just in a better place. If you're interested in having a conversation like that, starting to explore if we would be a good fit for you or for your business, please just visit makingitcreative.com and you'll see exactly what to do next.
2: Awesome, and don't forget to uh, check out our upcoming events at makingininashville.com forward slash events. Every month we host our monthly Monday Maker Mixer, which while traditionally is in person and it's a social networking event, uh, currently will be held online. It's a fantastic way to get to know other local businesses and sort of find out uh, how maybe you can help them and how they can help you.
0: And last but not least, as always, if there is someone in town that you would love us to interview, you want to hear their story, if that person is you, that's also great. Just please let us know by visiting com forward slash podcast. We have a quick little form that you fill out to let us know that you're interested in being a guest or that you think someone would be interesting as a guest. That's again, com forward slash podcast, Sarah episode 58 (laughs) that's a wrap high five we did it see you next week